Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We're going to finish Philippians chapter 3 tonight. I'm pretty excited about this. Um, I have no idea how this is going to go. That's a confidence booster, right? <laughs> normally, normally I have like six or seven pages of notes. I have four. So that could be really bad for you guys if I start rambling. And like I'm doing right now, like this is not in my notes, but no, if hopefully it'll be short and sweet and exactly what we need. Uh, we did get a little bit of a late start, so it'll probably just feel normal to, to the rest of us, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did start chapter 3. We, we saw all kinds of cool things that Paul talked about what it actually means to rejoice in Christ, right? It's not just about being happy. It's not just about giving him credit because credit is due, and it absolutely is due. Rejoicing in Christ means you're not taking any confidence in the flesh, right? If you're going to rejoice in Christ, you're going to put all, you're going to go all in with Christ. You're, you're going to put all confidence in him. You're not going to look at any of your abilities and, and your wisdom and what you have, your, 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 your God-given talents. It's, it's not for you, right? It's not for you to survive on. It's not for you to, to get by on that, and that's enough. And so, we saw that you know, Paul had a little bit different perspective on things, and, and that's almost always the case. Now tonight, last week we, we started with the danger zone, right? The song that most of you don't even know because it's so old. But some of us older folks, we know that song. It's from an old movie, um, Top Gun. Anybody even heard of that movie? You know? from the 60s, right? Yeah, something like that, something like that. Yeah, or the 80s, you know, whatever. Anyway, so... We talked about going into the danger zone, and, and what, it, what we were talking about was you know, going all in with Christ. Rejoicing in Christ means, like I said, no confidence in the flesh, and if you can't pull it off, man, you're going to get in over your head really quick following the Lord where he wants you to go, because he wants you to go where only he can pull it off, right? where, where he's going to get full credit where his name's going to get full glory, and you're not going to be able to take any of it from him because it doesn't belong to us anyway, does it? And so, you know, tonight, we're going we're gonna to call this, are we there yet? Hey, Mom, <laughs> are we there yet? How many have ever asked your parents that, right? I think it's like the, the most annoying, not funny, yet somewhat funny because it's relatable <laughs> joke that's in all goofy movies like, you know, little kid movies. Are we, are we there yet? No. Don't make me turn this car around. Don't make me pull over, right? All those things, right? So we want to know, are we there yet? And as we get into the, the passage, we're going to start in verse 8. We went beyond that last time. Um, so if you turn to Philippians chapter 3, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, before we get to that, we saw these couple of verses, you know, when we were looking at the vision for the whole year, we went to John chapter 10, verse 10, and it says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Right? So in Christ, we know we have life, we have eternal life through him as our Savior, but he doesn't want to just stop there. Right? The, the offer is a whole lot bigger. What, what he came to give us was not just eternal life, he came to give us an abundant life right here and right now, right? A, a victorious life to where we can actually get victory over the flesh. We can actually get victory over the temptations that we feel. We can actually live in the Spirit. What an awesome, awesome promise. But it's not automatic. 
2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Right? There's salvation again. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now that doesn't mean we're going to lose our salvation. You know, if you deny him up front, to begin with, yes, you don't get salvation. Right? But once you're in, you're in but you're not automatically going to rule and reign with Christ. Right? It, it depends upon how we live this life and what we make do or make use of the Spirit and the opportunities God gives us and the Word of God He's given us. Right? It depends on what we do with all of those things. Do we walk away from Him after getting our ticket out of hell and just say, well, this is all I wanted. I, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't burn forever and, and now I want to do what I want to do. Well, you can do that but you can guarantee you will not rule and reign with Christ. Right? You'll have an, a completely different role in the millennium, in the future. All right? So are you going to be satisfied with just being saved? It's not the same thing as being content. We'll see learning to be content next chapter when we get there. This is something that Christ saved you for. Right? We've, we've said this before. He didn't take Israel out of Egypt just to get them out of bondage. He took them out of Egypt to do what? to take them to the promised land, right? There was, a, there was a goal for them to live in promise, to live a victorious life. The only way they were going to get that victorious life was if they went all the way with Christ, if, if they went the full, the full distance. Being content has more to do with things that God never intended for you to have anyway. Are you content with where he has you? Or do you want everything that everybody else has? That's different. Right? If you're satisfied with being saved, that's different than being content with where he has you right now because he might have you somewhere right now that's difficult that's going to get you all the way. That's totally different. We'll see that in, in a, a week or so. So the, you know, the Marvel movie's coming out, end game, right? So we're going to keep using the tagline. This, this is Paul, this is Christ's end game for your life, for my life, is, is that we live a mature and victorious life. Ruling and reigning with Christ in the millennium, that's his goal. Bearing the image of Christ now, gaining victory now. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Paul mention winning Christ, knowing Christ through his resurrection power and the fellowship of his suffering. Attaining unto the resurrection. John 10 is not a promise. It's not a promise of financial success, right? He didn't say, I, I died and and went to hell and rose victorious three days later just so that you could have a, a life of ease and a life of success. I died so that you could have a meaningful life with me, walking with me. It's a promise of victory, and victory comes through battle, right? It comes through war. How many, I'm going to go old school again because that's all I know. How many of you have ever seen the movie First Night? Okay. Old folks, thank you. My wife? Okay. How many of you have ever heard? I, this, is, this is going well. How many of you have ever heard of Sean Connery? Okay. He's an actor. He was in First Night. He played um, King Arthur. Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, right? So in that movie, you know, he says, he's talking to Sir Lancelot, and he says, I, I was just a boy when I saw what was from my kingdom. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to Camelot. Right? And 
He's got the he's got the cool Scottish whispery, awesome voice. And there's a line in there that says, "There's a peace only to be found on the other side of war." Right? Amen. Only on the other side of war. If you didn't understand what I said in Scottish, I'll translate for you. Only on the other side of war is there peace. There's battles to be fought. Right? You don't just necessarily automatically always get peace. You may have peace inside to deal with things that you can only trust God with, and, and things may be difficult, but, but a lot of times there's battles that have to happen if you're going to get peace in your life. And so Paul is, is talking about that. He's talking about going all in. He's talking about going where it's dangerous, where God has to come through for you, and you have to battle, and you have to fight. This Christian life is a war at times. And on the other side is guaranteed peace because there's victory. And he wants to know if we're going to go all in. Let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 8. We'll go through the end of the chapter. I'll take a drink quick. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also or also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be, ye, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, whose mind, or who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you that Paul was brave enough to go all in, and he was brave enough to, to record it all for us. And he was bold enough to, to give instruction to this church, and it was preserved perfectly by you, and we're thankful for that. I pray that you would use it to, to challenge our hearts tonight. I pray that you would use it to, to encourage us to go all in, to press toward the mark, to do what you've called us to do. We don't want to be satisfied with just enough. We don't want to be satisfied with just not going to hell. Lord, I, I want everything that you have planned for me. But I know that comes at a cost. I, I want it, though. I want it because I know it's what you've intended for me. And it's going to be the fullest life that I can experience. 
and I can know you, and I can understand better who you are through, through life circumstances. I pray that you would use your word tonight, uh, remove me out of the way, challenge our hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so let's look at thir- verses 13 and 14 again. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The key portion of this entire passage is, is those two verses. Paul says there's one thing that he does. There's one thing he presses toward the mark. All right, so point one, we're going to look, look exactly at that, pressing toward the mark and what that means. So if you're pressing toward something, the question is going to be, are you going in the right direction? Right? Where is this mark that you're pressing toward? Are you moving in the right direction? Paul shows the church here that if you're, if you're going to do the one thing that is press toward the mark, you actually kind of have to do two things. And first of all, you have to let go. You have to let go of something if you're going to press toward this mark. <clears throat> Somebody has their Bible open. Read verse 7 for me. I don't have it in my notes here. 7 and 8. But, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, they doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. All right, thank you. And then verse, verse 12, he says, Not as though I had already attained, or either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, and, and we've just read that. He's, he's counting, all right, so we're, I was teasing Hinkley. He reminds me when I tease him about tax season. I don't do taxes. It's not my thing, but you're an accountant, so we don't know any better, so we're going to pick on you at tax season. How many other guys, ladies, are accountants or in school to become accountants? We've got a couple in here. Yes, I knew there was at least those two guys, right? All right, so we, we're going to look at Paul's accounting, right? Paul's counting some things, and he's not counting some other things in celebration of yesterday, whatever. That doesn't, nobody cares. Tax season's over. We're moving on, right? Verse 7, he says he counted all of the things that were gained, he counted them as loss, right? Something you used to have, maybe your identity, it isn't the same anymore in Christ, right? One of the, one of the first things that, that you notice when you're discipling with somebody is, is that if they've just recently gotten saved, they still think they have this old identity, right? There's a, an awesome guy. He's a, an incredible volunteer at the church. I won't name his name because many of you know him, but, you know, every time you talk to him and say, hey, how you doing, man? He's, I'm doing great. And, and then he'll tell you about his trade and who he is and what he does for work. And that's awesome because he's, he's been doing it for a long time. But as he has been discipled and as he's growing in Christ, he's, he's less concerned with know, you knowing his trade and, and more concerned about you knowing what God is teaching him. His identity's changing, right? He's recognizing, I'm not the same guy I used to be. 
The things that I counted gain, I don't even care about anymore. I, that, that's loss. That's not me. I'm a Christian now. I'm a believer. I'm, I am in Christ. Verse 8, he said, he's counted things as loss, and he's counted other things as dung. Here's a, here's a great question. If you're, if you're counting things and holding on to things, how long, how long do you want to hold on to a turd? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, that's just probably not something you want to do for a long time, right? I used to have a pet mouse, and, you know, he would walk around, and it was, it was fun. I was, like, seventh grade, and then he would poop on your hand, and I would, would go like that because he, he wants to hold on to dung, right? He counted the things that were gain as something you don't want to hold on to. Verse 12, he, he counted as not having attained. He's counted himself as not being mature or perfect in verse 12. Verse 13, he's counted as not apprehended. Right? He, he has a relationship with Christ. He is in Christ, but he's pursuing Christ like he hasn't even gotten to him yet. He's pursuing him like, like I, I, I haven't gotten a hold of him yet. He's gotten a hold of me. He says, I've been apprehended of Christ, but I'm going to pursue him like I haven't even arrived. And he says in verse 13 that he's counted those things as forgotten. So if you're going to press toward the mark, what you cannot do is hang on to the past. What you cannot do is, is hang on to who you used to be. What you cannot do is hang on to what you want that God is asking you to let go of. It, if you're going to hang on to that, you can't press toward the mark. You're stuck. And, and those things are different for everybody. When the world around him would say, well, Paul, at, at least you have this going for you. At least you have that going for you. Paul turned around and surrenders that thing to the Lord. The only thing I have going for me is, is the Lord, was Paul's response. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why can't you plow looking backwards? Because where you've been doesn't matter. It's already plowed. And, and ask Steve, who's not here tonight, you know, if, if Nick's going to mow his yard tomorrow and he's not looking ahead of him, Steve's not going to be very happy with the job that Nick does, right? He wants straight lines. You've got to see where you're going. You've got to avoid obstacles. You've got to go the direction he's asking you to go. And if you're looking back and you're focused on you and you're focused on what you don't want to let go of, you can't move forward. You can't press toward the mark if you're holding on to what he wants you to let go of. We should always, always, always learn from the past. I'm not saying that. Allow it to teach you. Allow it to change you. Allow God to use it. Just don't stay there. And don't remain idle either. Because letter B, he wants you to reach forth. We're, we're letting go so that we can reach forth. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Know ye not that they which... Run in a race, run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Right? Paul says, I, I, I'm, I'm living this Christian life like, like there's actually a prize at the end. Because there is. 
He says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. He's under control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. We are reaching for an incorruptible crown, Paul says. Something no one can take away. Something that's never tarnished, never stolen. Paul compares this Christian life to a race. And he compares it to a war when he's writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of rejoicing, or of righteousness, excuse me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He says, if we love his appearing, that, that could be us loving his appearing as we look in the mirror of his word. And we love that he changes us more and more to be like him. And last night I was reading chapter 4 and God God just knocked me flat with one verse. And I was, I was broken with one verse because of how I view things. And God said, no, that's not how I see things. That's not how I see people. You're seeing it the wrong way. And he knocked me down, and I needed it. And you know the awesome thing? God loves me enough to knock me down and tell me, you're looking at things wrong. You're wrong, and I love you, and I want you to be right. I want you to look like my son, and I want you to look at people the way he looks at people. Man, what an awesome God we serve, that he loves me enough to stop me from being selfish, to call me out when I need called out. Now when I look in his word, and and I'm responding to what he's showing me, I look a little bit more like he does. Now he looks way better than me, in all ways, all facets but I look a little bit more like him now because he showed me what I wasn't supposed to look like and I can change that as I submit to him. In Revelation, we see John talking about overcoming the movement of an age. We, we often talk about this, this church age that we live in being called Laodicea, right? And, and it's, it's just a time of overall selfishness, right? Self-serving. That's, that's the time we live in, even in Christianity, right? And he says in verse 21 of Revelation 3, he says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. So how exactly are we going to overcome the spirit of, of selfishness that is this age that we live in? Well, Paul gave us an example in, in Romans chapter 7. He was, he was talking about the things that his flesh wanted to do, and he knew he wasn't supposed to do, and he found himself doing those things. And, he, and he, he found the Spirit prompting him to do other things, and he knew he was supposed to do those things, and he ended up not doing them. What I, what I should do, I don't do. What I shouldn't do, I find myself doing that. And he gets to verse 24, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. If Paul's a wretched man, you and I are in big trouble. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? How do I overcome this temptation in this flesh that never takes a day off. I thank 
God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Right there's the answer. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I ha- the battle is in your mind. Do you agree with what God says? Or don't you? That's the first step. Do you agree in faith? God, God is right and I am wrong. The way God sees things is correct. The way I see them is wrong. The way God sees people is the way I need to see people. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Submission to him is the way, through, the way to victory. Pressing toward the mark is moving in the direction of Christ-likeness. That's the mark. In the second part of that verse, he says, we're pressing toward the mark of the high calling. So point two is pursuing the high calling. If we look back at verse 15, he says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Right? If, if we're perfect or mature, we should, we should have things in a certain perspective. Uh, verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. So he says, follow me, and mark them who walk like me, and you'll have us, me and them, as an example. Ensample is just a, a human example. Right? It's, a, it's an individual who you can follow. He says, that's what we ought to be pursuing. And, and when he says, pr- you know, press toward the mark, and then he says, mark me and follow me, and mark anybody else who's walking like I walk and follow them. How, pressing toward the mark isn't just a what. It's a who. So the question is, are you following the right example? Right? Press toward the mark. What mark? The mark, the people you marked who walk like me. Paul says, the ones who are willing to give all to follow Christ, to rejoice in Christ, counting all things that should be gain as loss. Follow those people. Follow the ones who are willing to give everything for the cause of Christ. That's who you follow. So the first example was Paul and, and others. 1 Corinthians 11, one, Paul's been saying this to all of the churches, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Can we, can I say that? Can I say to you, follow me. Do the things that I do. Act the way that I act. Read your Bible the way I read my Bible. Respond in faith the way I respond in faith to what God's teaching me. Can I say that? Not most days. Paul could say that, right? The first time I read that, I was like, this is weird. Why would I follow Paul when I could just follow Christ? I'm going to skip over Paul, right? I don't know if you guys were here for the, you know, for Brett's uh, morning session, Sunday morning. I'd never thought of, you know, the the cool aspect of, of course we follow Christ. He is our example. He is our Savior. He came and saved us and said, come with me, so we're following him. But Paul was the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, who killed Christians, who, who, 
who failed miserably and God gave a second chance to. Anybody else fall into that category? That's why we can follow Paul. Because he's, he's the example of someone who, who was against God as I was against God and, and went all in afterwards. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We have a perfect, an incredible example in Paul. 1 Corinthians 1.29, he says that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's the life that Paul lived. Romans 5.3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, following that, or knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So we follow Paul because somehow, some way, he even understands the perspective. He has the right look, outlook on, on difficulty and tribulations and trials. He's, it, it's okay. Because on the other side of this, I get to be more like Christ. And on the other side of the next one, I get to be more like Christ. And when I get sent to prison for telling the truth, for sharing the gospel, for trying to lead people to eternity with Christ, I'll be more like Christ afterwards, after they beat me up and throw me in prison. And if they end my life, what did Paul say? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because when I go to heaven, he's going to change me, and I'm going to look like him, forever. I'm not going to have to fight this battle anymore. I'm going to be with him. That's gain. Along with the instruction to mark and follow, Paul reminds the church that he's already marked some people to avoid. And this is, you know, something that we always get nervous. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to name names or, well, Paul doesn't name names here. Other instances he does. There are some times when Paul says, hey, if you see so-and-so at the church, stay away from that guy. He's no good. He's rotten. He's evil. Whatever. In this instance, he, he names some attributes. If people have these attributes, then stay away from those people. And if you have these attributes, then people ought to stay away from you. Because these are things that you're holding on to that keeps you from pressing toward the mark. These are things that you should automatically let go of as a believer but these are things that your flesh drives you back to and the course of this world drives you back to. There's no names here, just, just lifestyles. First one, he says, whose end is destruction. Whose end is destruction. This is, this is talking about pride. And if we look in 1 John, it's called the pride of life, right? How do we know this is talking about pride? Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction. And in haughty spirit, before a fall. When you're lifted up in pride, you can guarantee there's, there's a fall coming for you. Right? There, there's bad news around the corner. God, as your Father in heaven, is not going to allow you to take the place where he gets glory and he gets credit. And you want to take credit for what's going on in your life? Pride comes before destruction. 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You know, there's quite a few guy, you guys in here that are, that are really growing, and you're on the path for growth here at the church, and you're getting involved with MTT and LFBI and those types of things, and, and you're looking for opportunities to grow, you're looking for opportunities to serve, and all of those things are awesome. 
That's exactly what you ought to be doing. And somewhere along the line, in your growth, you're going to think that you're ready for something that your leadership's going to disagree with. And that's going to be a test of your pride. Because you're going to feel like, I'm not a novice. And they're going to think, well, maybe you are. And it's not because they think poorly of you. It's actually because they love you. And they're actually trying to keep you from being lifted up in pride. And your response to that may just be a test that I guarantee I'm not smart enough to to put those tests in front of you. That stuff just happens. Life just happens that way, right? We're not looking to put trials and tests and difficulty in front of you. Life is hard. And opportunities come, and some of them you're ready for, and some of them you're not. And, And if you respond in pride then you know what you do? You prove them right. <laughs> you weren't ready. You, you respond in humility and submission. Well, maybe they are ready. Next time something comes along, I'll keep that guy in mind. You, you never know. But, but guarantee that they're looking out for you. They want to keep you from falling into condemnation of the devil. That's a bad deal. The second uh, category there, he says, whose God is their belly. Well, this is the lust of the flesh, right? Somebody who serves all the desires that their flesh has. My God is my belly means my God is whatever my flesh wants, that's what I feed it. Whatever, whatever desires come up, that's, that's what I'm going to give in to. That's the lust of the flesh. Romans 16, 18. For they that are such serve not our, our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. The next one is whose glory is in their shame. This is the combination of pride and lust. Somebody arrogant enough to take joy in their sin and flaunt it in front of God's face. Romans 1.32 says, Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's a bad place to be. That's a place that, that pride will get you. When you think you're not susceptible to something, or you think you're better than somebody else, and, well, they struggled with that thing, but I would never. Well, guess what? Satan has three plays. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and every single one of us are susceptible. It just takes you not being ready for it. It just takes us not putting on the armor. We're all susceptible. And pride and thinking that you're not and that you don't need the Lord is the opposite of pressing toward the mark. Hebrews 11.25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, he's talking about Moses, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know what sin is? Sin is is pleasurable, right? Your body wouldn't want it if it wasn't. There, there's pleasure there. But he says there's a season of pleasure. And that's the season in which you sow. There's also a season that follows that in which you reap. When you, what you plant in that field is going to grow. It's only for a season that it's going to be pleasure. And then you're going to grow pain. And then you're stuck. Who mind earthly things is the last one, and that's the lust of the eyes. And again, this is those who refuse to let go of what this world has to offer. 
Luke 12, 15, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That's easy for us to say who have all of this wealth, right? And we're, not, we're not wealthy. We don't, we don't have a lot of things. In, in comparison to the world, we do. You know, if, if I had lots of stuff, then maybe I could say that. How many of you have ever known somebody who's just got more money than they know what to do with? Most of us know somebody in that category. It's not sin to have lots of money. That, that's not the problem. How many of you that know somebody like that know for sure they're not satisfied with what they already have? If they're driven by that, it's still not enough. And it'll never be enough. And you can be dirt poor and love money. You think, if I just had a little bit more, I, I've, I've lived this my whole life, right? I'm not poor, I'm not rich, I'm right in the middle, right where God needs me to be, right? I grew up, my mom worked three jobs a lot of times. I had no clue how poor we were. It was just, you just get up and you live. Mom takes care of all that. <laughs> you, you don't even know how hard life is. And, and she took care of everything. And she worked and she worked. And even today, she works like crazy. And she works paycheck to paycheck her whole life. She's fine. She's doing just fine. Because her life does not consist of the abundance of things she does or doesn't have. She's figured it out finally. Right? Way back, years before me, she made some mistakes that cost her. Romans 8, 5 through 7. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit do the, or the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is en enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You're going to feed the flesh, or you're going to feed the spirit. Wh what do you mind? What is on your mind? What, is, what consumes you? What drives you? What's your motivation? You ought to be excellent at your job. You ought to strive to be the best at your job. You ought to do a great job and be a great example of what Christ can do in and through you but you can also be consumed by your job, by your identity, by the money you make, by the things that you can buy. You can be consumed with all of that. That's, that's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life driving. So the conclusion, are, are we there yet? Have we arrived? Paul started off and, and said, you know, I, I'm going to act as though I have not even apprehended. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to behave as though I did not attain. I'm going, to, I'm going to behave as though I'm not even mature yet and I've got so much work to do. And then later he says, but we have, we have attained. And, and for those of us who are mature, we, we kind of not necessarily have arrived, but, but we've grown. We've seen God faithful. We're trusting him in bigger things now. He's doing incredible stuff and, and I'm going to keep walking with him. Paul says, I'm, I'm still not there yet even though he kind of was. Because as soon as you think you've arrived, guess what you haven't? 
You haven't arrived. Man, the, the more I learn about Christ, the further I realize I am. It is a strange, strange thing. The more you look like him, the more you realize you don't. Paul was very, very clued into this fact. Oh, wretched man that I am. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we'll finish with the last two. It says, for our conversation, that's our lifestyle. The things that we do that communicate to everybody around us. Our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when Zach first showed up and he said, you know, the, the poet, theologian, Zacharias Tiboricles over there. You guys talk about Jesus all the time. Amen. Yes, we do. Because our conversation is not in this world and in this life. Our conversation is in heaven. Because we're looking for the Savior. We're waiting for him to return. We're, lo- we're looking for him in the book. We're looking for him in the mirror. I want to look like him. I want to see him now. I want to I grab a hold of the resurrection now. I want to live a life to where I get victory because I'm a dead man. And this world can't touch a dead man. I let go of all of it. It's all dung. It's all worthless. None of it. None of it's going to get a hold of me. I press toward the mark. I let go of what's holding me back. I reach for Christ. My conversation is in heaven. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Have you submitted yourself and allowed him to subdue you and your will and your desires? Our Savior is there. We're not there yet. Our flesh is still here. We're still dealing with it. He's still working on getting me to let go and getting me to submit so he can subdue my flesh so that I can become like Christ. That's the mark. So what direction are you heading? What are you holding on to that's not going to allow you to take another step further? You may, be, you may be pointed in the right direction, but you're not moving. Something's got a hold of you. You've got a hold of something. And who are you following as you go? Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you so much for your word. and It's just so clear. There's, there's so many distractions in this life. There's so much going on around us, and we just need to take a minute and remind ourselves that it's just all about you. This life, our, our, our lives are for you. They're for your name. Lord, I pray that you, you help us to see that. I pray that you help us to let go. I pray that you help us to press toward the mark that, that everything in our life revolves around you. You came here and died for us, but not because you revolve around us, because you love us and you want to take us with you. And you want us to be like you, and you want 
your name to be glorified. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, we'd be able to do that. That we'd look a little bit more like you each day. That we'd believe you and what you say is true about us and what's true about you. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name.